This podcast is brought to you by the Dunfield Retirement Residence, a casually elegant retirement community located at Young and Eglinton in the heart of Midtown Toronto. Customized living options complement your independent, active lifestyle. Learn more at thedunfield.com. You know, we in Canada, Jews in Canada, have been facing this rise in anti-Semitism that has been so far gone and so beyond anything probably most of us have expected. I thought, let's share some good news. That was Shai Luca speaking in a video to his nearly 90,000 Instagram followers a few days ago. He was celebrating from Mexico, where his in-laws live, after learning that he'd won a three-year-long defamation lawsuit against a former Toronto restaurant owner. DeLuca is a high-profile Israeli-Canadian interior designer. For the past decade, he's also been a regular contributor about style and decor on the popular City Line television show. He's an influencer, too, who strongly supports Israel and the Jewish community. His Instagram bio says he's a proud veteran of the Israel Defense Forces, which is what got him into the legal situation in the first place. Three summers ago, during the COVID lockdown of 2020, Kimberly Hawkins, the owner of Foodbender's Restaurant, began to attract attention for her anti-police attitudes and for her anti-Israel slogans, including saying Zionists are not welcome in her restaurant on Bloor Street West. She put signs up in the window supporting a free Palestine and that she loved Gaza. Her position got condemned by the Prime Minister, the Premier of Ontario, even the Mayor, and Shai DeLuca too. Protests ensued outside her store, and then Hawkins went after DeLuca on Instagram with posts calling him a terrorist because he'd served in the IDF after high school, and she accused him not only of being racist, but also of using his sniper rifle to kill Palestinian babies. It went on for a few days. He told her to take it down and apologize. She did, but she never apologized to him. And so he took her to court not only because his career was being threatened, but also because he told the court he'd received death threats. When things happen to us, we can't simply sit idly by and say, let's just be quiet, it'll pass. I wasn't about to do that. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Thursday, December 28th, 2023. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. Shai DeLuca calls his win a legal victory for every Jew in Canada and every Israeli and every IDF soldier, even though it took more than three years for the court to rule that he was defamed. Actually, the judge said Hawkins was malicious, that she was trying to get DeLuca fired from his TV job, and that she posted abhorrent anti-Semitic comments which could lead to violence against Jews. For doing this and never once apologizing to him, not even when they met by chance on the street that summer, the judge ordered Hawkins to pay him $85,000, including 10000 as a punishment because the court was outraged by her hate. Despite the length of time it's taken, DeLuca says it was never about the money, although his lawyers did originally ask for up to half a million in damages. Shai DeLuca joins me now to explain why his victory will serve as an example for others fighting anti-Semitism today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's great to meet you. Congratulations on your legal victory. Three long years um, uh, to get this to uh, a judgment. 
our listeners will have followed the food benders story, but I think a lot of people forgot about that this was still going on. You know, a lot of people, I think, did put it in the back of their mind, although I, I was surprised how many people still did remember. People used to come up to me in the street throughout the entire three years and said or asked, have you heard anything? What's the verdict? What's the news? So it's been on people's minds more than I thought it was. When you started this in 2020, I wonder if you can think back to those days when this all started. We were in the pandemic and people were getting food takeout uh, or delivery. How did you get involved in food benders? How did they find out about you? I, I, I was a little bit shocked about how they found out about me. I had apparently commented on some post uh, that I guess one of her followers had mentioned my name to her or she had seen um, and she found out who I was and that that just kind of uh, started the ball rolling I guess for her but uh, somehow however it was she found out who I was and it it really just snowballed from there. I woke up one morning uh, and I found pictures in my Facebook inbox, which I rarely check Messenger, from people that I know and who had said to me, do you know this business? She's posted this picture of you saying that you're a terrorist and you're a killer and you sniper or you point your gun at Palestinian children. Uh, I had no idea who she was. I went on to the account and, and that's how I found out uh, who she was. So you weren't a customer. You never went to the restaurant. You had no idea anything about it. It was all a social media fight. Correct. I had never been to her establishment. I didn't even know where her establishment was. Okay. And I remember that we covered it, of course, quite a bit. But why did you decide that this had to go through a lawsuit? You couldn't make an agreement with her to meet with her, talk to her in person and, and try to have her apologize and take it down uh, like between the two of you? How did it decide to escalate? Well, you know, to be um, to be perfectly frank, we had given her the opportunity to, um, to apologize. Uh, I had reached out uh, to a lawyer and I said, you know, wh when this went out, as somebody who does what I do, somebody who's in the public eye, uh, you know, I, I really... I took I took obviously uh, heed to what she had said. I was worried that you know this was going to affect me personally, my reputation, and I reached out to a lawyer and um, uh, you know I had I had said to him you know what do I do in this case? He had sent her a cease and desist letter, and he said to her you have an opportunity now to retract to say I'm sorry, take down the post and recant, and she didn't. She had the opportunity to do it. You know she over the years um, has made herself out to be this. And, you know, I, I, I choose this word very clearly, a martyr of sorts for her cause in a way that, you know, has, has been detrimental to her. But there, there was absolutely, I was absolutely willing to have her, you know, apologize and recant and, and, and be done with it. Uh, she chose not to. So I absolutely was not going to let that go. I wasn't going to allow my reputation to be ruined. And I wasn't going to allow, um, you know, that to be out in the public sphere without uh, condemnation. I mean, she did post an apology for some of the things that she said, like that Jewish people are welcome in her store, in her restaurant, just not anyone who's Zionist. And she did. It's still up on the website of food vendors. There were a couple of walkbacks that, that she did do. Correct. So so she I mean, she she was very, you know, she was very calculated in, in choosing not to uh, apologize to me and not to recant, uh, you know, what she had done to me. So, you know, there 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 were no other avenues other than a legal avenue to to deal with it. 
And what's it been like for you to have this hanging over your head for the past three and a half years personally? Because it must have been extremely stressful. It was extremely stressful. I mean, at the very beginning, I cannot tell you, first of all, in terms of, you know, public embarrassment in terms of worrying about my career, my work, um, you know, those those who are listening and those who know who I am, of course, know that uh, I work in television. Um, you know, I, I am a pub, I, I do have a public profile. And that for me was very disconcerting because certainly at that time, now a little bit you know, maybe a little bit less, but it's certainly, you know, uh, uh, front and center for many people. The idea of cancel culture uh, was a very big thing. And I was I was extremely concerned uh, that that was going to happen to me. Now, this case was twofold. It, it you know, she made the, the initial comments, but then after, uh, you know, it was about a month after I had actually sued her, I did an interview on Breakfast Television, which is the sister show to uh, City Line. And uh, we had spoken about, you know, the, the case and we had spoken about uh, what had happened to me and she doubled down and went back on uh, her Instagram and said you know now is the time to reach out to City TV and cancel him because he's trying to cancel me and it really became bad in, in the sense that it was almost a dirty fight for her for me it was just be honest recant apologize for her it was just slinging you know uh, um horrible comments, misinformation about me in order to defame and affect me personally and my career. And did it? Has it? What What have you heard from your clients? Have you lost well, clients over this? Have you, I mean, because our listeners should know you have your own business as an interior designer. Correct. So, so here's the thing, you know, I don't know, I will never know, uh, you know, if I lost business from this, you know, there are people, this whole story is forever on the internet. The internet is forever. I don't know if, you know, people will be looking for somebody to work with and they will be, you know, searching and they find me and then they find out this. That was that was the big issue for me, is if you're not willing to recant and apologize, I then need to go to court to be vindicated because I need to then know that my name is cleared. You didn't want to do it. I had to make sure that it was done. My clients, I have been extremely blessed in the clients that I have. They have all been extremely, extremely supportive. You know, the, the TV shows that I work for, both Global and City TV, have been nothing but supportive. So I've been extremely lucky in that, in that sense. But, you know, in Hebrew, we say, it's not, it's not something you can take for granted. Um, my story is very different from many stories. There are many people who are in my situation who have lost jobs, who have lost clientele, who have lost relationships. So, you know, I'm very lucky in that sense. But like I say, I don't know. I don't know if there are potential clients I could have had that I did lose because of this. Okay. Now, I mean, on your Instagram and on your on your bio, it says proud IDF veteran. So I don't know if we could just ask because yes. I don't actually know the answer. When did you serve? How did you serve? What years ago? What wars? Oh, my goodness. It was, <laughs> it was almost a lifetime ago. Um, it was in 1995. Uh, I was in uh, the IDF. I was a combat engineer, a sergeant. Um, it, 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 it was... One of the greatest honors of my life to give back to my country, to my people. But this was what, right after high school, you had to go part of your mandatory Yes, service? correct. And when did you move to Canada, Shai? I don't actually know this. So I actually, I grew up in Canada. I spent many years in Canada. I went back for my army service and I spent almost 23 years back home in Israel. And then I came back uh, again via New York uh, and then back to Toronto to uh, to work. So you don't have to go back for Miluim now. You don't have to go back 
or you couldn't go back for the current war? I'm actually over the age of uh, reserve. However, I absolutely did volunteer. But during my service, I was injured. Um, so I'm considered to be what's called the Chetzal, which is um, uh, I, I was injured during the army. And I actually physically uh, am not um, am not physically, uh, I guess, eligible to to re-enlist. I know you, you know, went back recently. To, you I... just went. You just went. And I'd love to talk for a minute about that and those places that you did do your own way of fighting through your 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 Instagram and your stories and talking about awareness, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. How did that come about? So actually, um, the fir- we were actually there when the war broke out. I was actually back home uh, for a wedding uh, and we came back and it was coming back and really witnessing what was happening uh, in Canada as a reaction to what had happened in Israel that absolutely devastated me. I could not believe, you know, I thought, well, here, finally, you know, Jews are going to be seen as, uh, you know, the, the, the fighters that we are having, having just been victimized the way that we were. But seeing the reaction, and I don't need to tell any of the viewers or, li- or excuse me, the listeners, uh, you know, the, the reactions that we're seeing on the streets now, it just devastated me. And I said to myself, I have to put together a delegation and bring them back home to bear witness because I, I can't sit idly by. This was my way to kind of, like you said, it was my way to kind of do my fight. I had to be able to fight in a way that made made sense and would make a difference. Uh, and and we went back and we were there. We were not in Be'eri. We were actually in Kfar Aza. And it was it was everything that I had hoped it would be. It was the most meaningful trip. I I don't want to get emotional now when I'm talking about it because I, I often do. It was extremely moving and it was extremely important to do. I watched m- many of your posts and it was beyond moving and shocking and horrifying. Back to the lawsuit. So you started this three years ago. Now we're in a whole different world of anti-Semitism here in Canada and online than you were in 2020. I don't think anyone could have imagined what it's like now. What impact do you think your lawsuit or what impact do you hope that your lawsuit and your victory will have now on this media landscape. You know, you're you're so spot on. I, I I'm watching what's happening now and I remember growing up, as probably every single one of us does, hearing the stories of our parents and grandparents telling a time of anti-Semitism in the world that we used to think, oh my goodness, that could never happen. How, how is that even possible? It was so beyond comprehension. And we are living in a time, I look at the things that are happening now, and I, and I, and I remember the stories of my grandparents. And I think to myself, my goodness, the stories and things that we can read about Europe in the 30s or, uh, you know, North Africa in the 50s or, you know, Iraq during the Farhud. It's all beginnings of. It's all the beginnings of. And I'm watching this happening and it, 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 it's, it's just shocking. And, and I, this, this case for me was not a personal win. I mean, it was a personal win, of course, because I needed to vindicate myself, my business and, and, and my name. But for me, and I want all of the listeners to, to really feel this and embrace it as a collective win for our community. This is a collective win for the Jewish community. It was so important for me to stand up and voice a voice and say, enough. We can no longer simply sit idly by and be, you know, Jews over the years have created this defense mechanism of kind of 
Again, we say in Hebrew, ledalek benatipot. You have to like go between the, the drops of rain to try to stay out of the line of fire. If we keep our heads down, this too shall pass. And that's been a defense mechanism that sadly we've grown to become accustomed to. But I think nowadays, certainly after we've returned home and we've rebuilt ourselves and, you know, we are, we are stronger than we've ever been, we must voice our, 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 our voices and be heard. And I wanted to create an example for everybody to know that you too can, can speak your voice. You should be heard. If something happens, say something. Don't, don't, don't feel like you need to, you know, be that wallflower and, 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 and sit back quietly. Be heard. Speak up. People need to hear it. We need to fight back. So has anything, I mean, it's just broke over the Christmas break, so people are away, whatever, but have you had any more like doxing or problems, pushback, uh, hatred, whatever, since this came out? I mean, so far, nothing. I will tell you that um, years ago for the probably many obvious reasons to many people, I left Twitter because of, you know, just the the awful, awful, uh, you know, place that Twitter was. I came back to Twitter just because of obviously the lawsuit and and really wanting to promote what I could now. And I did start to notice that, especially on Twitter, not so much on other platforms, that people were, the minute that the case was actually published by uh, Sija, they only published, of course, what was out and what you had seen, which and, and what the public had seen, which was only a short snippet of what the, um, the actual um, decision was. And of course, the conspiracy theories around why it was only a snippet that was being shown was already coming out. And, you know, I, you know, I had to come out and say, no, I have the full, re- you know, I have the full decision, but it was me who decided to share it with certain people and the full resolution will be made public when the courts decide to do it, but it's over the holidays. So I'm sure that I will get more of it after the holidays. But you know what? I'm rested. I'm, I'm, I'm here on vacation now. I'm resting up I'm, and, and I'll be ready for it. Hey, did you ever meet this Kimberly person? In person? Oh, well, let me tell you that. that This is a great story. So, you know, I, I never knew who she was. I, I didn't even know what she looked like. And probably about a month after uh, we I had sued her, um, my husband and I uh, had a barber that we used to go to in one part of the city. And he decided one day to move his barber shop. And he said to us, we moved it to such and such place. And I had no idea where it was. And we parked our car and we got out and we started walking to where it was. And as we were walking, my husband said to me, wait, he looked to the left and he said, isn't, isn't that food benders? Oh my goodness. I was like, it is. And we stopped for a second because I was explaining to him, you know, everything that was on the windows that she had out there. And I guess she saw me from across the street and she came out and I said to him immediately, I was like, let's just go keep walking. This was uh, at that time. So her business was on Bloor Street. We were on the south side. She was on the north side. We were walking towards the barber and she just followed us on the north side. And she waited until we got to the intersection. She waited for us to cross. And when we got to the north side of the intersection, she just confronted us and went off and there were people around us and I just said to Ricky I said do me a favor walk away I said this is not worth it I said certainly not you know not for you not for me and you know she's trying to make this into something that I'm not going to let her make it into and we walked away and that was the only time I had ever met her thank goodness and you know Bezrat Hashem I never have to meet her again and uh you know we'll see how that goes so they uh Found in your favor, there's the $85,000 that they're, uh, they've awarded. Are you going to 
she doesn't have a business anymore, does she? Like, can she pay it? So her business went bankrupt. Which she blames um, the Jewish people. I've saw, I've seen she blames the Jewish. Of people. course she does. Um, you know, the the lawsuit was against her business and her personally because she um, admitted to the fact that she herself made the posts. I, I I would defer to my to my to my my legal representative. I have absolutely no idea how all of that works. This it was never for me. It was never about the money. What I uh, you know in the pre settlement I was offered. Uh, she offered more. I decided. Absolutely not. What I wanted to do, what I wanted, and I absolutely demanded was an apology and that she was wrong and that she publicly made a statement. Those were the three things she absolutely did not want to do. And I said, well, if you're not going to do that, then let's go to court. Right. And if you look at her social media now, I mean, she's participating in all the uh, overpass po- uh, protests. And she said Zion yep. is not welcome on her. I mean, it's, she's not she's not walked it back. I really appreciate you making the time. It's been my absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for having me. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Now, it's not clear whether Kimberly Hawkins will appeal the ruling. We called her lawyer, but he didn't return our call by deadline. By the way, Stephen Ellis, her lawyer, is also Sarah Jama's lawyer. Food vendors closed for good at the end of 2020, although the website is still up. But Hawkins' legal troubles aren't over. She's facing an Ontario Human Rights Tribunal hearing in February for discrimination against a Jewish customer, Barbara Bank. And the City of Toronto is still after her for not wanting to serve Zionists, which is against the restaurant license that she held. Hawkins maintains she's a victim of the Jewish lobby, who are out to cancel her over her political views supporting Palestine. You can read more about this story in our show notes. I've put the links there to the CJN website. And this is our final show for 2023. We'll be back right after New Year's. Thanks for listening to the CJN Daily. The Dunfield Retirement Residence offers customized living options to complement your independent, active lifestyle. Welcome home. Welcome to the Dunfield. Visit us at thedunfield.com to book a personal tour.